October 9th, 2014 was a really bad day for me. It was a culmination point of a really bad season. I was a Cornwall Church Skagit Valley pastor in Mount Vernon. We had had the church going for about two years, and we were struggling to get all the pistons going all the same way. On top of that, we were struggling getting even 60 people in on a weekend. We were a portable church, so that meant we were setting up and tearing down, and every week it was the same five of us doing that. It was wearing us out. It was wearing me out. My wife and I, we'd put up our house for sale. We live in Ferndale, and, and I was doing the bag drag every day 40 miles down to Mount Vernon, and our house didn't sell, and it was a difficult time. So on October 9th, 2014, I'm in my beater Toyota Camry, and, and I'm driving up I-5. I'm going through Bellingham, and there's a semi in front of me, and he's going fairly slowly. I do a head check. Look around me, nobody's around. I pop into the left lane and I start going around him. And when I get about three-fourths of the way around the semi, this guy comes right up <clears throat> on my bumper. And he's, it's like he's tagging my bumper. He's flashing lights, he's flipping me off. It's, it's really bad. Now, I've been told that when I get stressed or angry, I have a, a vein on my forehead. And it's like going like that. Well, I saw it out of my peripheral vision, this vein sticking out right here. I was angry. But thank God there was a still small voice in my head that simply said, get around the semi and let him go. So I did. And for the next seven miles, I got angrier and angrier. So I got home. I did what every red-blooded American with a fast motorcycle would do. I parked my car, went into the garage, put on my motorcycle gear, jumped on my motorcycle, jumped on I-5, went up to Canada, took a left at the border, came back down to Ferndale, and I'm doing loops on I-5. And I'll just say, I wasn't wise with my choice of speed, and I'll just leave it that way. Well, finally, that still small voice came back in my head, and it was like, Kip, what are you doing here? You need to get home and get off your bike. So I did. So I'm sitting at home, and my wife, Linda, came in the door, and she looked at me, and she went, oh, bad day? And I'm like, yeah, bad season. And she said, hon, you haven't been taking care of yourself. You need to take care of yourself. You, you say you take a day off, but you're on your phone. You're doing ministry. You've got to take care of yourself. So the next day, or so that day, I called up my boss, Pastor Greg, Greg Krim. He was our executive pastor at that time, and explained the situation. He said, hey, you need to take tomorrow off. Make it a soul care day. So I did. On my soul care days, what I like to do is I get, I get in my kayak, and I go onto the nooksack. So I'm sitting there on the nooksack, and two things came to mind. First of all, I needed to see my VA counselor and get a tune-up. I had some residual things going on from my time in the military, and that's an easy thing to do. So I, I was going to make that happen. But the second thing was a little bit more difficult. I had lost my joy. In fact, it, it wasn't like I had given my joy away. It's not like someone had stolen my joy. I had this joy bucket, and at one time it was full of joy, but it had holes in that bucket, and I had no joy left at all. Anybody else here ever have that happen? Yeah, a couple, a couple of you have. It's hard when that happens. So I had to dial down on how do I get my joy back. Well, at that time, we had a worship director in Skagit, Jess Ellis. We love Jess. She's part of our family. Very energetic young lady, and she likes to read a lot of books. And she had consistently fed me books, but all of these books were written by great godly women. But if a guy would see me reading some of these books, every man card would be taken away. Jen Hatmaker, Lisa Turkers, Kip, you got to read these books. 
So she said, you got to read this book about joy. It's an amazing book about joy. I said, I'm not going to read this book. Kip, it's by Ann Voskamp. It's called A Thousand Gifts. It's the most incredible book. I'm not going to read the book. Jess, I'm not going to read the book. So I read the book. <laughs> and as I read the book, there was a quote in the book that actually changed my life. It's a quote and a thought that we're going to land on today as our main teaching point today. So if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. The height of your joy depends upon the depth of your gratitude. The height of your joy, having that, that joy bucket full, it depends upon the depth of your gratitude. I had not been grateful, and because I had not been grateful for so many things in my life, I had lost my joy. So that's what we're going to land on today. Uh, one of the things I love about my job is I get to do sermon research. I get to do a lot of research on biblical things. Well, so the teaching today, I did some, some research and found some scientific studies out there that prove that gratefulness is good for you in a whole bunch of ways. Did you know, grateful adolescents, those are kids between 11 and 13 years old, grateful adolescents are happier, they're more optimistic, they have a better social support system than their less grateful counterparts. So science is saying for our adolescents, our, our kids, that great, uh, gratitude is good. Did you know? Grateful teens, age 14 to 19, they're more satisfied with their lives, they're more engaged in positive activities, and they have better grades. So science is telling us that gratitude is good. What about us adults? Did you know that grateful adults have better heart health, they're less depressed, they have less fatigue, and they sleep better. So science is saying all these things, and they're proving all these things, that, that gratitude is good for us. Well, guess what? God has been saying this for thousands of years. So God's got a lot to say about that. The height of your joy is dependent upon the depth of your gratitude. Welcome to week three of our series called The Path to Happiness. It's in this series in which we're dialing down on three traits that can help us live that life more abundant that Jesus calls us to. Week one, we looked at generosity. Week two, we looked at forgiveness. And this week, we're looking at gratitude. We're going to be hanging out in one main chunk of Scripture, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 17, and let me set the scene for what's going on. Jesus is probably 33, 34 years old at this time. He's at the back end of his three-year earthly ministry. It's during this time in which he has healed people. He brought God's kingdom to reality. He has shown that he is the Messiah, that he is Christ, that he and God the Father are one. And he's heading into Jerusalem. And shortly after today's story, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to be arrested, tortured, crucified, but then he'll rise again. And en route to Jerusalem, he comes into contact with 10 lepers. Here we go, Luke 17. Let's look at verses 11 to 13. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. If you were a leper in this time period, one word would sum up your lot in life. And that word is hopeless. You had a hopeless life because here's how it would work. Leprosy back then is different than it is now. Now we call it Hansen's disease. It's a very focused disease. Back then it covered a whole lot of things. But how most lepers rolled in that time, it started with some numbness in your fingers and your toes. And then you'd start losing feeling in your limbs. As the, the disease would spread into your limbs, extremities would fall off. And if that was bad enough, if you had that rash, you could hide the rash for a while 
But once it hit your neck or your face, you couldn't hide it anymore. Levitical law said you had to go see the priest. So you go up and show up in front of the priest, and he has to declare, declare you clean or unclean. And most of the time, he's going to say you're unclean. So if you are unclean, that means you're banished. That means you've got to have six feet of separation between you and someone who's clean at all times. That is, unless there's a wind. Then it's 50 yards of separation. And last time I checked, there's always a wind in Israel. You couldn't practice your trade. You couldn't hang out with your kids. You couldn't be with your family. You were banished. So these guys, verse 12 says, they stood at a distance, shouting out to Jesus, Master, Master, have mercy on us. Have you ever been there? Have you, have you ever been in that spot where it's hopeless? Because it's hopeless for these guys. They have no hope in their life. Maybe you had made this vow that you would never do whatever it was you did again. I'm never going to go back to the bottle. I'm never going to smoke that crack. I'm never going to look at that porn site. I'm never going to date that type of a person. Or I'm never going to go back to that person who used to beat me. And, and you're in your mess. And your situation is hopeless. Maybe you fasted and prayed for this perfect person to come in your life. You are tired of being single. You want a family. You've fasted, you've prayed, and you're dating this great person. And the dates go on and on, and things are going well, you think. But then all of a sudden, that person breaks up with you. And there you sit in the middle of your mess. And it's hopeless. You go to the doctor. Something's going on with your body. You don't know what's going on. And the doctor gives you that diagnosis that you don't want to hear. And it's a dire diagnosis. And you're sitting in the midst of your mess, crying out to Jesus. And it's hopeless. It's times like that in which happiness is nowhere to be found. Joy is a pipe dream. But it's at times like that precisely that we have to hang on to Jesus because Scripture says he holds all things together. It's in times like that that we have to remember this truth. Happiness is tied up into our circumstances, but joy, true joy, is bound by Jesus. Happiness is tied up into our circumstances. It ebbs and flows with our circumstances, but joy is bound in Jesus. And these 10 lepers, they're in a hopeless situation, and they're screaming at Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. Back in Jesus' day, there was a, an historian, his name's Josephus. And Josephus wasn't a Christ follower, but he made a comment about leprosy. He said, someone being cured of leprosy, only God can do that. And when God cures someone of, of leprosy, it's tantamount to raising someone from the dead. God was about ready to cure these guys from leprosy. Look what happens. Let's keep going. Verse 14. They're crying out from 50 yards away, most likely. Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. Verse 14, he looked at them and said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed from their leprosy. They cried out to Jesus, and he immediately responded. It's kind of cool. He didn't put together some form of Jesus essential oil and, and put it on him. He didn't hock a lung cookie into the ground and put some, some form of mud thing together and do a mud treatment. He didn't say, go fast and pray. He didn't blow on him. He didn't do anything weird. He just said, go 
show yourselves to the priest. And it was a test of their faith. Go be healed. Don't go. Don't be healed. It took faith. It took hope. And it took trust for them to be obedient to Jesus. And isn't that what Jesus always requires is obedience? And with obedience, obedience itself requires faith, hope, and trust. And obedience came before the miracle. I got a question for you. Where in your life right now is God calling you to be obedient? Where in your life right now is God calling you to be obedient? Week one, Pastor Bob dialed in on generosity. Did God move in your heart that week for you to be generous about something? And if so, have you moved? Could it be a test of your faith? And Jesus is saying, go, move, do what I placed on your heart. Maybe it's in an area of forgiveness. Side note, if you didn't see Pastor Bob's sermon last week on forgiveness, go online and watch it. I think it's one of his best sermons he's ever delivered in the seven years I've known him. Is it in an area of generosity? Is it an area of forgiveness? Where is God calling you to be obedient? Is it in loving God more, loving others greater, and being more selfless? Is it in your thought life? Is it in an area of temptation? Where is God calling you to be obedient? He says, go be, to, be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. Verse 14 says, as they went, they were healed. Here's what would happen. They'd, they'd show up to the priest, and they'd have to look good. They wouldn't have to look like a train, train wreck like they were looking like when they left, when they moved out. They'd show up in front of the priest, and for eight days, he would do ceremonial sacrifices. And then at the end of that eighth day, they would get their life back. Jesus simply says, go. And here's the thing, they acted before they had evidence. Where is God calling you right now to be obedient in your life and to act before the evidence? Verses 15 and 16. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Now, we don't know how far they traveled. We don't know if it was 10 yards, 110 yards. We don't know if it was 10 miles. But at some point, and my guess would be very quickly after they started moving out in obedience, they were healed. And only one gets it right. Only one comes back. Have you ever noticed that Jesus is always about the one? A couple chapters before this, read it on your own in Luke 15. Jesus tells three brief stories about how he's always about the one. Story number one, he tells a story about this good shepherd that has a hundred sheep, and he keeps a hundred sheep together, but one gets out and runs away. And the good shepherd, Jesus, runs after that one. And when he grabs that one, he celebrates, because Jesus is always about the one. Right after that, he tells a story of this, old, uh, this woman who, who has a, a coin that she loses. And I would argue that the coin means a lot to her both in her heart as well as financially. And she tears apart the house. And when she finally founds it, she celebrates, as, which happens when Jesus finds one of us because he's all about the one. Right after that, a little bit longer story, the story that most of us know, the story of the prodigal son. A young man goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, give me all the money that I'm due at my inheritance when you die. It's outlandish for this kid to ask his dad that, but his dad says, okay, you asked for it, you got it. So he goes out and he parties like it's 99, 
and has a great time, and he ends up in the middle of his mess. His situation is hopeless, and he swallows his pride. He comes home, and the father doesn't just wait on the porch for the son. He goes out after him, and he represents Jesus because Jesus is always about the one. And this one, he's a leper. But even worse, he's a Samaritan. Let's talk about the Samaritans, because it's important when we read about the Samaritans in the New Testament to understand who they are and why there is so much hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. About 700 years before Jesus, God tells his Jewish people, he said, I've got plans for you, plans to bless you, plans for you to prosper, but you've been disobedient. You've lacked faith, you've lacked hope, you've lacked trust. So I'm, I'm going to take you to the woodshed in Babylon for 70 years. And it's going to be tough. But at the end, I'm going to pull you back, and you're going to be blessed. So most of Israel is sent to Babylon, except one part, Samaria. And a big chunk of the people who live in Samaria, Samaritans, well, they stay behind. And the foreign powers come in, and the Samaritans inbreed with these foreign powers. The Jews come back from their exile, and they're like, what the what? You guys have been inbreeding? And then the Samaritans start fighting the Jewish people about the building of the temple in Jerusalem, and they're doing this number. And so the Samaritans become a hated race. Jesus is always about the one, and Jesus hates racism. He hated it then, and Jesus hates it now. And he always makes it a point to put a Samaritan in good light to show that his gospel is for everyone, regardless of race, ethnicity, background, or color. John chapter 4, he goes into Samaria against his disciples' wishes, and he says, and he goes right to a well, and he finds a woman at the well. This woman is a Samaritan woman, and she's had five husbands. She's sleeping with another guy right now. She's just covered in her mess, and Jesus reveals to her that he is the Christ, and then she goes and evangelizes to her village, come and see what I've seen. Jesus is always about the one. He tells a story of the Good Samaritan. Two religious folk walk by this guy dying in the street, and they don't get it right. But this hated, vile Samaritan does the right thing and takes care of his neighbor. And once again, Jesus uses a Samaritan as an object lesson for us. Folks, in our country right now, we got a huge problem with racism. And we've got to own it as a church to make a difference. We, as a church, God is calling us to share the gospel with everyone and treat everyone equally because all of us are created equally in the eyes of God, whether race, ethnicity, or background. Jesus is always about the one. Back to verse 15. One of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. Okay, Greek geek alert right here. When he shouts, the Greek word is phone megale. It's where we get the word megaphone. So it's like he's screaming into a megaphone. Praise God. He is freaking out. He's so happy. Verse 16. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. He was overcome with joy. Remember our main thought today, the height of your joy is dependent on the depth of your what? Your what? Gratitude. Yeah. And so he falls at the feet of Jesus. He's praising God, and God sends this message to us that the pathway to him starts at the feet of Jesus. Jesus would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Samaritan gets it. He gets it right. 
And I got to tell you guys, I have preached on this story. I've written about this story. I've researched this story. And every time I am so judgmental towards the other nine. But think about this. You've been in a leper colony, separated from your family. You haven't been able to work in your job. You haven't been able to be with your family. Your life is hopeless. And all of a sudden, you're healed. And you know that you got eight days of ceremonial sacrifices before you get, you get that stamp of approval saying clean. You're going to move out as quickly as you can to get this done. You don't want to wait. But here's the problem. Whatever was on their mind... It crowded out what, what was the most important, and that was praising God. And as we step into a very busy season with Christmas, I don't know about you guys, but my anxiety levels go up at Christmas. My stress levels go up at Christmas. My busyness goes up at Christmas. And every time I hit the Christmas season, I run into a tough time because busyness crowds out my gratefulness. And when busyness crowds out your gratefulness, you can forget what's truly important. When busyness squeezes out Jesus, we can forget what's truly important. Many of you stress during this time, many of you are sad during this time because that gift that you used to buy for someone, that someone's no longer here. There's a place at the table where that person's not going to be this Christmas. God gives us a remedy for fighting anxiety, for fighting this depression during this time, and it's gratitude. A couple hundred years ago, a theologian by the name of Jonathan Edwards wrote about two different types of gratitude. There's a natural gratitude in life, and then there's what he calls a gracious gratitude. A natural gratitude in life is something that all of us have. We're all born with it. It, it focuses on our, our happiness and our circumstances. So everything's going well, we're going to be happy, and we're going to be grateful. It's natural. Everything goes into the toilet, we're not going to be so happy. We're ungrateful. Well, we, we Christ followers are supposed to have this thing called a gracious gratitude. A gracious gratitude starts with Jesus himself. It focuses on his love, and it's about praising God in the good times, but more importantly, praising God in the worst of times. It's being thankful not for your circumstances. We're not going to say, hey, God, thank you that I, I lost this job and my family's going to be out on the street, or thank you for this cancer. It's not that. It's saying, thank you, God, that I know you hold it all together and I know you're walking with me. Even though I may not even feel you, I know you are there. The word thanks occurs more than 150 times in the Bible, and I think a big reason why God placed it in there so many times is to keep us off those motorcycles, doing those loops. The Samaritan gets it right. Let's look at verses 17 to 19. Jesus is talking to his disciples, the people around him, and he says these words. Verses 17 and 19, he asks three rapid-fire questions. Jesus asked, one, didn't I heal ten men? Two, where are the other nine? Three, has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And then he looks at this man. I just picture Jesus looking at him. And he says, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. As I'm reading this, I'm going, how childish of Jesus You know, he's complaining that nobody said thank you. I picture the, the stereotypical, you know, Jewish overbearing mother from Brooklyn saying, watch, you never call me no more. Oy vey. My picture saying, I healed all ten of you, only one comes back. You've got 18 legs, you other nine. You got two of you couldn't come back. Oy vey. My grandmother was a thank you note freak. 
And it was so funny. And, and I'm, a, I'm a pastor today, and I think I'm a man of faith today because she was on her knees for so long for this goofy kid named Kip, and she was praying for him to be saved. And my grandmother, every Christmas, I mean, it was, it was like clockwork. She'd give you the gift and expect the thank you note. My brother and I and my sister would joke that we would write these thank you notes beforehand with a fill in the blank. And, but if you waited a couple days, the phone would ring. She'd be talking to my mom. Where's Kip's thank you note? I'm missing his thank you note. Well, this is not, this is not biblical, okay? It's, I guess for Bob, it's boblical. For Kip, it's Kiplical. And so I picture my grandmother. She's in heaven right now, and I picture uh, her standing right next to Jesus, and she's elbowing Jesus saying, it's true, the boy couldn't write a thank you note to save his life. <laughs> the request from Jesus wasn't an odd request. And it wasn't a childish request. You see, Jesus understood this truth that a blessing requires a response. A blessing requires a response. Jesus didn't want this gratitude because he thought it would be good for him. He wanted us to have gratitude because he knew it would be good for us. The height of your joy is dependent upon the depth of your gratitude. And when you live that joyful life full of gratitude, you have benefits physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so I pop up to the 30,000-foot level, you know? I, I'm looking down on this story, and I pull back to put it in context because there are so many nuggets we can take away from this. I mean, one of those nuggets at the 30,000-foot level, Jesus didn't say, your gratitude has healed you. He said, your faith has healed you. Get this, through suffering, through a hopeless situation, God created a path for this leper to find Jesus, to receive healing, to receive grace, and I'd argue to receive forgiveness. We're going to talk about that in a second. God created this path, and it started with faith. And as I pull back, and I'm at that 30,000-foot level, Think about this. Jesus didn't unheal the other nine because they were ungrateful. He healed all ten. It's not like one came back and the other nine went and he said, okay, lepers again, sucks to be you. He didn't do that. And that should give us hope. When busyness crowds out our gratefulness, guess what? Jesus is not there to smack us down. He's there to pick us up because he's full of love for us. And as I get to that 30,000-foot level and I'm looking down on this, the story is really about the glory of God. Jesus was always about the glory of God. After, this, after this, this situation, he ends up in Jerusalem, and it's the Last Supper. And he's in the upper room with all of his men, and he starts telling them things that are freaking out his disciples. He says things like, I'm going to go away from you, and I'm going to go to my father's house, and in my father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a room for you. He'd say the, the, that verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to rock your world in such a powerful way because he's going to be your counselor. He's going to be your teacher. He's going to guide you. And if you remain in me and I remain in you, we're going to do a lot together, but apart, we can't do anything. And then they pray this prayer. He prays this prayer. John 17. Let's look at this prayer, verses 1 through 5. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. 
He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Get this. Here it comes. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. The whole theme here is about glorifying God. And as I go to that 30,000 feet, it's important for all of us to remember that everything we do is about glorifying God. Whether it's on the playing field, whether it's on social media, whether it's in our lives, in our families, in, in our marriages, in, in, in our, our classrooms, whatever it is in our church, everything we do is for the audience of one. It's for the glory of God. And as I get to that 30,000 feet level, here's a huge twist to the story that I didn't expect. The story is not only about gratefulness, even more so, it's about forgiveness. It's no coincidence that when Pastor Bob and I put together this series, we started week one with generosity, week two with forgiveness, week three with gratefulness, because gratefulness and forgiveness walk arm in arm down the same street. Go with me on this. Back to Luke 17. Back to Luke 17. Stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Verse 19. Jesus says that. The, the actual literal translation is your faith has saved you. If you look at the beginning of Luke 17, too often when we look at the Bible, what happens is we, we, we take these passages and we pull them apart or we'll take a verse here, a verse there, and we'll take them out of context. The context of the entire chapter is about two things, forgiveness and faith. Stand up and go, your faith has saved you. Throughout the Bible, leprosy is associated with sin most times. And so the word leprosy occurs like more than 40 times in God's word. And it's always an object lesson for uncleanliness and the destructive power of ugly in our lives. In fact, the Jewish people would, would use it as an object lesson for, for the, the destructive power of sin. And isn't sin like leprosy? I mean, it may start small on your skin, but then it permeates down to the bones and your life starts changing in an ugly way. And once it hits your heart, it kills you. Josephus had said that God curing a leper is tantamount to someone being raised from the dead. Well, Jesus can clear our spiritual leprosy because he was raised from the dead. It takes obedience. It takes faith. It takes hope. It takes trust. Jesus says, just come to my feet. Come to my feet, and I am going to rock your world in such a powerful way. You won't believe it. I love you. I forgive whatever you've done in your past, your present, and your future. And then guess what? As we walk through this thing called life, he continues to cleanse us day in and day out. And this thing called forgiveness and this thing called gratitude, they go hand in hand. Go with me on this. What happens when someone has wronged you greatly, has wronged you greatly? Um, a few months ago, I had a couple friends of mine from high school, great men. I love these two guys. They're brothers, and they're both solid men of character and integrity. They're both solid men of God. And the younger brother perceived that the older brother had betrayed him. And so he calls me up, and he's just, he's distraught. He said, Kip, I can't forgive him for what he did. And I said, okay, let's, let's pull back some. I know your older brother. I know him like the back of my hand. He's a man of character. He's a man of integrity. Have you ever thought, because you got this bitterness grabbing a hold of your heart, have you ever thought 
that maybe, just maybe, you can think of some things that he did before this betrayal that you could be grateful for. No, I can't. And I said, okay, let me give you about a thousand of them. So I start naming off all these things. And pretty soon he, he ends up forgiving his brother because that, that bitterness that was like this on his heart, the more he was grateful, the more that was loosened. But what about the man who raped you? What about the man who raped your daughter, your son? What about the woman who maybe sexually abused you or your kids? Are you supposed to be grateful for them in your life? That's not what I'm saying. How about this? Maybe, just maybe, with something as horrific as that, if you are here today, if you're watching us online, you have strength, and they didn't get the best of you. That you're breathing, and you're here seeking God, that's a win, and you can be grateful for that. Gratefulness will allow you to forgive, and forgiveness will allow you to be more generous and selfless in your life. One final thought. Okay, this final thought is a long one. We're going to put it right up here on the screens. It's a long thought, but it really wraps up our series. The path to happiness is really about joy. Joy begins with Jesus. From him we're healed so that we can be more generous, that we can forgive and be grateful. Let me say that again. The path to happiness is really about joy. And joy begins with Jesus. That's where we get that, that gracious gratitude. From him, we're healed physically, spiritually, most importantly, spiritually, so that we can be generous, we can forgive, and be grateful. They all flow together. And what if, what if Cornwall Church, if we had these three traits in our lives, I guarantee you that we as a church we as leaders, we as individuals, every single one of us would be more able to hear that still small voice. We'd love God a lot more, and we'd love others a whole lot more, and we'd be a whole lot more selfless. We would be more forgiving and less judgmental. We could experience that life more abundant that Jesus promises us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. See, the gratitude will take us to that next level, and it'll keep us off of those motorcycles. Okay, I want to pass off a, a challenge this week. This challenge is important. I call it the 7 by 7 challenge, and here's your challenge. This week, for seven days, I want you to physically write down seven things that you're grateful for, seven different things. So by the end of day seven, guess what? You got 49 things there. And on that seventh day, you write that 49th thing, and you're going to write number 50. And number 50 is this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's the doxology. And what we're going to do today as we close, I've asked Ron to come out, and we're just going to sing this together as a congregation. So, Skadja, I'm going to turn you over to Pastor Brian. Boca Raton, thank you for joining us. For those of you watching online, we so appreciate you watching. Pastor Bob, you're watching us from Hawaii. Uh, Halana Lana Licky Licky Mui or something like that. We love you. <laughs> Here in Bellingham, let's go ahead and stand for the doxology, and then I'll close this.